honesty hour, I did not know what I was doing in regards to launching this podcast. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without Anchor. Anchor makes starting a podcast super, super easy and allows you to not only use their platform to distribute the podcast, but you can even go on your phone or computer and record and edit the podcast right on their platform. Best of all, it's totally, totally free. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. I would say probably the biggest thing I've learned or maybe not learned, but surprised me about working in startups. And honestly, it goes hand in hand with what you just said about the bucks is the actual like real ROI that exists from a positive culture. Mm -hmm. Like in how like culture is so often like an afterthought. And I I work with a lot of really like kind of traditional business guys to Milwaukee. There's not, our startup scene is growing, but we're not the biggest. Yeah. So I'm like doing stuff with the MMAC, the local chamber of commerce. And I work with a lot of like manufacturing guys. And so almost always their sentiment for culture is like, well, we'll wait until we hit our numbers. Then we'll go back and we'll figure out culture. Yep. And it'll be, you know, kind of a, like a, almost more like a thank you to the employees, like after the fact, like, oh, we're gonna do a company picnic and that'll really like, that'll show them how much we care. Yeah. And it's really not that. Like, it's like the day-to-day stuff of just creating a space where people want to be and want to feel like themselves. Like, I think this is driving that casualization more than anything. It's yep. just like, I, I genuinely don't know a single person my age that is like psyched to put on a suit. Right. I've never, I've never talked to one, one someone in my, at least in my circle, that's like, God, I love throwing this suit on. It's more often than not, it's for weddings, it's for funerals. Like that's really when people are wearing suits these days. And I think that you see that. <clears throat> in terms of having that strong culture internally is what you get is really invested people because they're not there just for the paycheck. They're there because they enjoy being there. All right, so welcome to the Strange on Purpose podcast. Today I have on Forrest for Moral Code Footwear. Um, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Izzy. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, no problem. I'm, I'm really excited and I think um, I'm more excited because I smell some type of food and I don't know who's warming up food or anything like that, but it <laughs> smells amazing in the studio. Um, but I'm really excited to have you on as well. And, and we've been, as you guys know, whoever's listening today, um, we've been working with moral code for, um, over a year now. Yeah. Uh, and we longer than I've been there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's been, it's been really cool. And the brand's amazing, very sleek. And I, I know there are probably people on right now that have, uh, bought the product because of us and everything like that. Yep. Those who don't know who you guys are, do you want to introduce yeah. to them who you are first sure. and then dive into who Moral Code is? Sure, absolutely. So I'm Forrest Richter. I'm a startup guy here in Milwaukee. I kind of cut my chops in startups with Bright Sellers, um, running operations for them, helping them grow, which was an e-commerce wine subscription. They're doing phenomenal. They're growing. They're, they love those guys. And then um, around around this time last year, I got reached out to to help kind of scale things with Moral Code. They were having a little bit of difficulty on the operations side, so lining up the supply chain, a lot of the boring back end stuff of <laughs> stuff of startup business, kind of getting that in place and helping take that brand to the next level. And then Moral Code itself is a men's footwear and accessories brand. Um, we do a lot of really cool shoes from very casual sneaker type stuff, which is what I'm wearing and what I wear most of the time to, yeah. you know, very high end kind of formal wear. 
Um, overall, though, the brand's shifting way more casual, way more laid back, even in the two years. So the company started in 2017. I yeah. joined in 2018. Um, but even in like the two years since the company's been launched, you can see men's fashion is shifting so much more casual. So we have to align with that. Yeah, I get that. And it's crazy how that shift has happened, right? And I noticed a lot, like I used to work for the Bucks back in the day. And even so, like I used to have to go and if my tie was even like a centimeter to the left, like they switched it for me. Yeah. Um, if I had like a casual looking shoe on, everybody would be on you. Not only the bosses, but everybody on that sales floor yeah. and even the marketing department, stuff like that. It was kind of nuts to me because I am this casual guy and like your casual shoes are perfect for someone yeah. like me. And now seeing the fashion change to what I want it to be and seeing like a place like the Bucks or anywhere that, that I used to work switch and start getting more casual was like eye opening to me. And seeing you guys move into that space is really, really cool and getting that younger, younger generation. And I know that's something that's huge for you guys. Yeah. Um, but what, what do you think has been, I mean, you've been with Bright Sellers, you've been here um, and you also have this side hustle. Yeah. What, what do you think entrepreneurs are doing? Like you as an entrepreneur and you working um, for startups, what do you think these startups are doing right to make sure that they are moving forward? Well, I would say probably the biggest thing I've learned or maybe not learned, but su surprised me about working in startups. And honestly, it goes hand in hand with what you just said about the bucks is the actual like real ROI that exists from a positive culture. Mm -hmm. Like, and how, like uh, culture is so often like an afterthought. And I, I work with a lot of really like kind of traditional business guys too. Um, Milwaukee, there's not, our startup scene is growing, but we're not the biggest. Yeah. So I, I'm like doing stuff with the MMAC, the local chamber of commerce. And I, I work with a lot of like manufacturing guys. And so almost always their sentiment for culture is like, well, we'll wait until we hit our numbers. Then we'll go back and we'll figure out culture. Yep. And it'll be, you know, kind of a, like a, almost more like a thank you to the employees, like after the fact, like, oh, we're gonna do a company picnic and that'll really like, that'll show them how much we care. Yeah. And it's really not that, like it's like the day-to-day -day stuff of just creating a space where people want to be and want to feel like themselves. Like, I think this is driving that casualization more than anything, it's yep. just like, I, I genuinely don't know a single person my age that is like psyched to put on a suit. Right. I've never, I've never talked to one, one someone in my, at least in my <laughs> circle, that's like, God, I love throwing this suit on. It's the, more often than not, it's for weddings, it's for funerals. Yeah. Like that's really when people are wearing suits these days. And I think that you can see that <clears throat> in terms of having that strong culture internally is what you get is really invested people mm -hmm. because they're not there just for the paycheck. They're there because they enjoy being there. Um, what I saw when I was at Bright Sellers was we had a customer service team that was so awesome. Like they were, we were a startup, so yeah. we definitely weren't paying the most, but they were like a cool group of people that liked to be there and they like were working with their friends basically. And so you end up with what is essentially like a really strong staff but you're paying less just yeah. because it's a great place to be. There's real dollars to be saved there. Yep, I love that dude. And it's it's 100% true. Um, you know Chandler, like 100%, yeah. I'm not gonna say I pay Chandler a lot or yeah. a little <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, because yeah. Chandler wouldn't like that. But right. like, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be a thing. And he believes in the vision. He understands the culture. He loves the culture. Yep. At least what I think, I don't know, I'll ask him after this, but. <laughs> He loves everything that we stand for and everything that we're doing. And even Ken out there and people that we have on tests and everything like that, everybody like that, 
everybody that we have on, we want to make sure they fit, right? At the end of the day, because if they don't fit, we just had to let go of somebody because they didn't fit yeah. and the culture just completely changed in here. And that's not something that we, we want uh, moving forward or anything like that. I, I remember at my last couple stops, I mean, I was probably a cancer because I was looking for that yeah. culture that totally. these places couldn't give. And I was just not rebelling, but I was like, mad that I wasn't getting that culture and I couldn't find it at it, the end of the day. You're totally right. It's, um, and I, I like to say it's not good or bad. Like yeah. my view of what a good culture is does not necessarily have to be someone else's view of what a good culture is, but I have to know my culture and I have to be authentic to that. So to your point, like what we see over and over again is not necessarily good or bad people, but people who don't fit either self-remove, which yeah. happens a lot, is they just say, I don't like being here, I'm gonna quit. Or they, someone up above has to be like, hey look, they clearly do not fit in here and they're, they're shifting stuff. People don't wanna be around that. Right. And, and when I think about that is just even in terms of like everything you do, you, that establishing that culture is so important because when you get to that place where you have the good culture, good culture that you want, then people that don't fit, don't fit. Yep. Then, then you have to do so much less personnel management because they stick out like a sore thumb, even to themselves. They come in and they go like, wait a second, why am I frowning? Yeah. Why am why why am I showing up right when the clock's supposed to start? And there's been people here for an hour just talking about stuff and trying yeah. to figure out stuff. And why, when I stay late, do I feel like it's a burden? But these other people keep staying late and they seem to really be enjoying it. Again, not bad or good, right. but it's just clearly like there's a certain energy that you want people that fit that energy to be a part of. Exactly, exactly. I love that, dude. And. I mean, you've you've done a lot. I mean, to the thus far. Can I ask you your age? I'm 32. 32. I mean, you're young, dude, and it's it's crazy to see someone like you be so impactful in so many different startups. Um, where'd you go to college? Like, where did this kind of startup scene kind of come from? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting story. So I was always a good student in high school, and but I was also kind of directionless. Um, I, I my wife, who is very driven, um, I, has always kind of joked that I'm just like a butterfly. Like I kind of just float where I want to go. <laughs> and so like I, I went to the University of Minnesota. Um, cool. And so I went go up for there. It. Go for it. Yep. <laughs> and, and again, like same thing. Like I really didn't know uh, at that time. You know, I had adults in my life either saying like you should get a business degree or you should get an engineering degree and I took a you know intro level psych class my freshman year and it was the only thing I took that I like I personally found fascinating mm -hmm. so I just stayed with it and I so I got a degree in psychology my okay. focus was on industrial organizational psychology so okay. Minnesota has this really strong program for that and so I got a chance to work I, I got a chance to even take some graduate level classes while I was there which is great and nice. it's basically workplace psych okay so I get to think about things like on the O side, it's things like culture. It's things like some pretty interesting studies too of just like, if you have the lights brighter, then t employees tend to be more productive, like interesting oh, stuff wow. like okay. that. And then there's the I side, which is very like, I would say data focused and tends to be in, um, a, a little more like sometimes a little brutal in terms of like treating humans as like data points and just yeah. like what can we do to maximize stuff and so kind of coming up through that I minored in philosophy so I spent a lot of time thinking about thinking and, and kind of wow. connecting those dots but again even coming out of school after graduating my plan was to go to grad school for psychology I was like I'm in this is what I want to do and then my wife who was very driven she was my girlfriend at the time yeah was like 
a finance major at Wisconsin. She had plans. Like this was, she was future CFO. <laughs> and so she ended up getting a job offer here in Milwaukee. Okay. And um, there was no IO grad program here. Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, well, whatever. I'll just, I'll find a job. And so I found a job with a local um, remodeling company. Okay. Um, and I, so I started there and kind of just a in, entry level marketing role. And, and thanks to my I would say my liberal arts stats background, yep. I kind of was bringing data to conversations that no one there was already having. Just like, how are we in, and for me at first, it was just habit. Like it was like, hey, this is not how experiments are done. We don't right. just do things blindly and then not pay attention to them. So I, I didn't know that I was doing like business analytics at the time. I didn't know I was tracking ROI. Mm -hmm. I was just trying to like put the best stuff out there I could. Yeah. And, and it kind of, exposed me, um, gave me a lot of spotlight early on in my career that I wouldn't have had otherwise because I was bringing up different things at the meetings than anyone else was. Yeah. So even as somebody really young, and again, advice to managers, like don't worry about what someone's age is, what they look like, if yeah. they're bringing interesting stuff to the table, listen to them. That's what matters. And my boss at the time was really cool about that. She's an amazing mentor to me. Shout out to Michelle Vincent. Um, <laughs> and she was like, she right away just kind of saw, I was like, okay, well, he's doing stuff no one else is doing. Let's keep empowering that. And so I was able to climb on the marketing side pretty quick. Nice. And then I started kind of taking that same mindset of just like, I, I look for data in regular business stuff. And, and I kind of became an internal operations consultant. Again, mm -hmm. I did not know that terminology at the time, but I just started looking at other pieces to the business. And I was mm -hmm. like, well, why do we do it this way? I asked why a lot. Um, and I like, well, why do we do this? And, and a ton of times the answer was because we've always done it that way or because that's the way so-and-so likes it to be done. Yeah. And it wasn't because like it's the smartest way or because it's the cheapest way or any of those smart answers. Yeah. And so again, next level CEO, again, very cool. Like didn't care that I was, you know, 25 years old, 24 years old was just like, great, let's do it. And so I took over operations there. And I was, um, that was really being thrown into the fire. I was working with construction guys, um, smart construction guys too. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of where I learned humility in the yeah. workplace too. Cause up until that point I had been pretty good about like, I know my shit. Am I allowed to swear? Sorry. No, yeah, you're good. Okay. So <laughs> I, I know my shit. Like I, I like come at me. I know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden I was thrust into a role where I 100% didn't know my shit and I knew I didn't know my shit and yeah. they knew I didn't know my shit. So I'm, I'm leading meetings with construction guys and I, I have dainty hands. I am not a construction guy. <laughs> and so I just learned, I learned to be like, Hey man, like, you know all this stuff really well. I'm not gonna tell you how to do that, but I know some other stuff over here that I can help you with. And I know for a fact that if you were to run your cruise four days a week for 10 hours instead of five days a week for eight hours, you're gonna get more production and I can show you, I can prove that to you. Yep. And slowly like those kind of conversations, we started building up like respect, started learning those things and we got to like a really healthy place and that company grew really well, but I just kind of found myself bored. Yeah. I, I found myself uh, like it was, and also I think there's a, a confidence or like a, especially with Midwestern sensibility. And this is something I, t I talk about in the tech scene a lot. It's just like Milwaukee in particular, like we have like a humility about us, a humbleness. Yep. And at that point in my life, I was young. I had a job that like on paper was like great. Yeah. Uh, you know, I graduated during the recession. I had friends that were like barely out of taking internships. You know what I mean? Right. And so like there was a part of me that almost felt bad for feeling bad. Like I was like, oh, I should be so lucky. I should be so appreciative that I have this job. But the reality was I wasn't a cultural fit. Yeah. I like all those people. I, I've enjoyed all my time working with them. I learned a ton, but there wasn't 
it wasn't like revving my motor. I didn't like, get energized about like what I was going to be doing that day. I just mm -hmm. happened to be okay at doing it. And so that's when I kind of started to look and, um, and I was looking exclusively for culture. Like I went out searching for culture and I realized a, that I sucked at networking up until that point. I hadn't <laughs> done any networking. Um, and, but I reached out to the little network I had and I got connected to somebody down at trunk club in Chicago. Okay. Went down there, went through all the process. Um, it ended up, ended up not being something I wanted to do, but the reality was I saw for the first time a culture, like firsthand I saw a culture that like made sense to me. Yep. And I was like, I didn't even know this could exist. Like that company was awesome. It was full of young people doing really cool, innovative stuff, being empowered to do so. Even the physical space, like either like, Kind of like yeah, their space is beautiful. Though. Oh my god! Here's yeah. a rock climbing wall. Here's a here's a treehouse in our call in our customer service center. Yep. You want a cocktail? We've got bars over here. You know, like oh, we give all of our engineers standing desks. Like just normal and stuff that is now like kind of commonplace. Was like yeah. whoa, this is blowing my mind. And so I was like, this has to exist in Milwaukee. It just has to. Yeah. Like they, they, just because I'm not in the startup world doesn't mean that there isn't a startup world here. And it started honestly, just by me like Googling startups Milwaukee, like who's got the news, who's making press. Yeah. And I found um, an opening at Bright Sellers for essentially a entry level customer service role. So I did some research with that. I happened to have a connection at Generator at the time. Um, mm -hmm. And I reached out to him and I was like, hey, and this again comes back to just like moving into this world. I was so risk averse at the time. I was yeah. like, oh my God, like I can't believe I'm gonna go to a startup. I've got like bills to pay. And, and he was like, like, hey man, like there's no startup that's safe. But as far as safe goes, like Bright Sellers is pretty far along. They've got seed funding, like they're okay. So yeah. like, okay, cool. And so I went into interview and uh, and again, just talking about good leaders that I've had the pleasure of working for, like CEO right away was just like, dude, you're not gonna do customer service. Like I see your resume, like what do you wanna be doing? What can you help us with? Yeah. And, and so I just kind of laid out what I could do and, and what I wanted to be doing. And it happened to be some stuff that they could use help with at that time, which was a lot of kind of leadership development for a young staff. It was yeah. a lot of kind of organizing supply chain stuff that just didn't exist yet. And so it gave me, so I got an opportunity there and we really awesome. built something cool. That's awesome, dude. And that's how I got in the startup world. That's awesome. And I mean, you landed with, like you said, a, an amazing startup in Bright Sellers. Really lucky. And they're, I mean, I remember doing the same thing as you, startups in Milwaukee. Yeah. When I was with the Bucks, I said, hey, maybe I can sell to all the startups. Yeah. I could sell tickets. And they were one of my, not clients, um, but they were one of my targets at the, at sure. the time. And um, that's when I first got introduced to the startup scene here. Yeah. I didn't meet like startup more, like Cordy yeah, 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 or anybody yeah, yeah. like that until, actually, that brings up a point. I should probably have Cordy on the podcast, but they... Like I didn't meet everybody until I decided to fully immerse myself and start my own thing, right? And yep. now seeing how community oriented most people are in the space, yeah, um, it's it's amazing. And seeing how Milwaukee is just on the rise for yeah. the startup space specifically, whether it's water, whether it's tech, whether whether it's marketing, anything like that. Uh, there's new startups really popping up, and it's the beautiful thing. It's not only it's not just happening downtown. Yeah, it's happening on the north side. Yeah, it's happening oh, on the sure. south side. And um, if anybody's listening right now, I I point out both those points because Milwaukee traditionally is known as one of the most segregated cities yep. in the world. Actually, I don't know if, do you watch um, Hassan Minaj on yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you watch his latest one yesterday? Patriot Act? Yeah. I didn't see it. Okay, so he talks about how 
um, Scott Walker, he just dives in into Scott Walker okay. and how Scott Walker kind of screwed Wisconsin's uh, public transportation system yeah. and really goes into how segregated the city is, yeah. everything like that. Um, but there's so much stuff going on in the city and it's, yeah. it's amazing to see people actually giving back and working together at the end of the day. At the end of the day. Um, but someone like Bright Sellers like kind of setting the standard in the city and yeah. showing the way like, hey, this is how you can be successful, support one another and everything like that. That's, it's amazing, really amazing. But seeing how you've worked with Bright Sellers and now in your role, you said seven months uh, yeah, I, I think we're coming up on actually 10 months now. 10 months? Okay. Yeah. Um, so you've been with Moral Code for a, a, a good time now, yep. and I know you guys have some pivoting um, that you've been doing with the not only designs, but possible new things coming up. Totally. Um, what have you taken, like, I know you probably took a ton from Bright Sellers, but what's one of the main things that you've been able to bring from uh, that remodeling gig to yep. Bright Sellers to now where you're at today? Yeah, um, I think so with the remodeling gig, I learned a lot about people management. That, that's really what I took from there is I learned how to work with people, how to swallow my own ego, how to admit when I'm wrong, how to not be an asshole, basically, mm. because I and I learned it. The, I learned it the wrong way. I learned it by being an asshole who was wrong and didn't want to admit he was wrong. And so it took some time. Um, and so that's really what I carried into Bright Sellers too, was just like creating, trying to create as mo much of a cooperative environment as possible and, yep. and create space for people to feel comfortable speaking up, um, create an environment where everyone feels like they're invested in the, the bigger goal, especially as that team got bigger. It's hard. It's hard when, oh, the, yeah. when teams, teams grow and they weren't there on the early days when you, we were all just, you know, like, how are we going to get an extra sale today? Trying yeah. to figure those questions out. Um, and then so coming into moral code now, I think a lot of that, what I'm carrying with is more brand development. That was one of the things I learned. Um, Richard, the CEO at Bright Sellers is a really good brand guy. Like he thinks about brand, he thinks about brand building in a way that was totally new to me. Yeah. And so that's been one of the things that we've talked a lot about with moral code. We've talked with you guys about it too. Yeah. It's just like, we kind of have this brand, like this Honestly, the name Moral Code and owning MoralCode.com is super yeah. like cool. Like that's a valuable brand. Oh yeah. But right now there's just kind of a disconnect between that brand and the product that we're seeing. Yeah. And so we're really trying to lean in heavy into Moral Code, especially in a time of <laughs> a little bit of turmoil in terms of the world and oh, how yeah. people are their behaviors. Let's say 100%. and just being like like well, how do we want to be as a company? Like how do we want to demonstrate our Moral Code? How do we want to translate that into a product that's going to make sense. So we're looking at things like more sustainability. We want to try to figure out ways to make our product more sustainable, make it more environmentally friendly. Things like even just like who do we work with for influencers? When we started, it was, you know, mostly country club guys. It was mostly people on the co coastals, mostly white people. Yeah. That was kind of the brand. And um, and we're moving away from that into trying to be, you know, inclusive of women, inclusive of people of color, inclusive of people that are not fashion influencers at all, just yeah. good people. Um, we, I, I think, so we just started working with um, a guy I'm super psyched about. Um, our, shout out to our marketing director, Meredith, for making this happen. But um, 
Wesley, I'm spacing on his last name right now. Um, he's a guy who was on Queer Eye. He was one of the oh, guys, wow. okay, Wesley cool. Hamilton. He was the guy in the wheelchair on this season of Queer Eye. Yeah. And he was a former gang member who got shot and paralyzed. And now he's in a wheelchair and it like changed his life for the better. Like he yeah. realized like how much he had missed out on. And he's not a traditional men's fashion blogger at all, but he's just a dude that like lives his life the right way and a guy we want our brand associated with. Yeah. I love that. And seeing seeing that you guys are, like you said, aligning yourselves, not only looking at the product that you guys make, but seeing, like that name is iconic. Like it's yeah. an amazing name and so people, good. it's so like, okay, you're wearing moral codes and it, it's just, it's so easy to say like, hey, I'm wearing moral codes and actually associate yourself with that. Totally. Rather than any well, type of competitor. Because it opens up a ton of questions. Like, Hell yeah. It's like, why are they called moral codes? And and even like, even for us at the company level, we have a hard time answering it. Yeah. I'd love to get it to the consumer level where you're able to say, well, yeah, these shoes are you know 100% biodegradable. Like, yeah. I would love for that to be a place we can get to. Yeah. And or some, something along those lines. We're like, oh yeah, these guys treat their workers the best. Like they're the, they treat their employees the better than anybody else that's their moral code yeah i'd love for that story to make it all the way through from brand name through product through consumer yeah i love that and seeing like you guys have this amazing name what do you guys deal with on the consumer level um in regards to almost not naysayers but people kind of pushing back do you guys deal with any type of hate or anything like that on the consumer level um i think we're mindful of it mm -hmm. um i for the most part we, for the most part, our customers are pretty cool. Yeah. Um, we have a, a really strong customer service leader um, in Leanna who does phenomenal work with just kind of community building and really making people feel heard and not like we're just, you know, a black box on the internet or right. a robot on the other end. So she's really good at seeing stuff through. So for the most part, we don't get a ton of hate. I think the, I'm trying to think if there's anything that's kind of semi-recurring. I think the biggest thing for us, and, and this is tricky just about footwear and e-com in general, is just fit. Yeah. Fit is always tough. It's, you know, I wear I wear X and Nikes, I wear X and Adidas, like what do I wear with you guys? And like we sort of can answer that, sort of not. Yeah. And there's even like subtle differences, even within a size. So we see a lot of, it's mostly logistics issues. So it's a lot of like, hey, I bought an 11 and an 11 and a half and I'm having trouble returning the 11 and a yeah. half. But it's mo mostly that kind of stuff. Nice. And I know um, one of my good buddies actually bought a pair and he, ended up getting way too big of a size yeah. for himself. And he said it was actually a simple and easy process. Good, um, <laughs> I'm glad. And that the team was awesome and he got something back within a week and he needed it for something for work and he got it back in time for his events. So Perfect. Um, it, it works out and your customer service department, I cannot say anything bad about. Good. So, um, and neither could he. So it's, it's really, really cool to see you guys evolve and really cool to see you guys kind of identify with that name and really grab hold of that name. And yeah. I'm really excited to see what you guys do in the near future with the name and with the products and everything like that. So what, what is coming up in the future for you guys yeah. that you can talk that about? I can, and yeah. I, I mean, I want to tell you guys everything, but I'm not, it, <laughs> it's a little like, uh, I would say we're very actively right now working to try to figure out how we make our product the most sustainable possible. So we're looking at things like, um, like we have we have a beautiful box right now, but that box is not coming from recycled materials. So we're looking at ways like, okay, how do we make this? How do we make less of a, a negative impact on the planet? Mm -hmm. We look at our product. 
So we, we sell leather, like that's inherently, you know, is going to rub some people the wrong way. But the reality is that um, a lot of vegan leather is plastic. Yeah. It's what it is. It's, it's an alternative leather and, and it's polyurethane in a lot of cases. Not in all cases, but a lot of cases, that's what it is. Yeah. And so, but because leather comes, is, is organic, there yeah. is a version of that where, where it can become truly compostable. So we're close. We're in R&D right now on some shoes that are going to be much smaller impact on the planet to where I'm hoping at someday that it's a zero impact on the planet product where we can, awesome. uh, please don't hold me to this, but I can <laughs> tell you it's our goal. Our moonshot goal is that when you're done with the shoes, you can bury them in your backyard. Yeah, that's awesome. And that, I mean, that's such a standard in the industry itself. Um, I was reading an article the other day and the fashion industry itself is one of the main contributors to any type of, um, I almost called it a landmine. Um, <laughs> um, gosh, what landfill. Am I? landfill, there yeah. you go. That's the word I'm looking yep. for. Um, any landfill or anything like that. And it's one of the main contributors. And to me, as you know, and as maybe most know uh, that are listening, um, I'm a huge thrifter. So I'm all about like re like redoing something or trying something new yep. or I, I don't know, like there's somebody from Milwaukee Actually, we should probably link you guys up with him. Um, he's in LA now, okay. but he takes a whole bunch of material that people aren't using anymore or like, hey, uh, I just saw him. He was sent a quinceanera dress okay. um, and she's like, obviously this doesn't fit me anymore. I'm 20 something, yeah. um, but I, I don't, I'm not gonna have kids. I wanna see what I need to do with this or what can you do with this? And he made it into a backpack for her. Um, and it's a crazy story, right? You think about the story behind that dress and like what it means to her. And now she's able to wear it again. Uh, the guy's name is Peter Cho. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's in LA right now. He's collabed with some stuff with Depop, which is very big on vintage and just like reusing stuff. Um, and it's really cool to see that type of thing go on. So seeing something like what you guys are, what you just said, actually saying, okay, I'm done with these shoes. I'm going to kind of bury them in the backyard and throw some seeds over yeah. them. And that's going to be that. That'd be amazing for yeah. not only us as humans, the race, but like the earth for our planet. Totally. And um, that would be extremely cool because there's a story behind that too. I mean, that's something that you could highlight on um, Facebook or some type of hashtag where somebody posts and says, look, I went through this, this, and this with these shoes these are the seeds and now I have some type of tree over it or something like that. Yep. That's amazing. That's really cool. But seeing what you guys have in the future, what kind of struggles do you think are going to be on the way for you guys as you continue to find that, that name for yourselves and as you continue to kind of evolve the brand into what hopefully it envi- you guys envision it to be in 10 years? Yeah. I mean, I think the the short, boring answer is that shoes are just really complex from a supply chain standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been one of the things that surprised me coming in. Every shoe that you've ever bought, no matter what the price point, is put together by hand. Yep. Some human put it together. Now, the materials might change and the process for putting it together might change, but it's not something that can just be automated and just kind of sent on its way and put together. And so it's labor intensive. Um, and so beyond that, you also end up with really weird sizes. So like if we also sell um, just like accessories, so like backpacks and bags. And from an inventory perspective, it's really easy. I get 
I can get order five of one thing and I have it. And yeah. if I start to run low, I can ask for more to be made. It's I can, I can run lean there. Shoes are really tough. I have to buy this normal curve of shoes that is like, well, we're probably gonna sell more tens than we're gonna sell sevens, but I need to have some sevens. Yeah. And then we go out of one size. All of a sudden there's a run on nines. And it's like, okay, well, I keep this shoe up on our website. I want to look like we're well inventoried, but I'm out of nines. So yeah. somebody who's looking for a nine is not going to find their shoe, but I can't place a reorder for just size nines. It's not worth it. Yeah. And so there's a, so it's really complex from a, from an inventory and manufacturing side. That's the boring answer. Yeah. Um, that's something, but that's something that I still have trouble with. Um, something that's going to be complex is anytime you take a, a position, I will say a moral position, it's not necessarily a political position, yeah. but there's people who are gonna feel like they're on the other side of it. And so as we go along with this, we're, we, know, we know that going in. And we're trying to be conscientious of what we stand for, um, but also in a way that is gonna be respectful for people who might disagree with that. Mm -hmm. But it, the reality is like, sometimes you just gotta draw a line in the sand and say, right. this is our business, this is our brand, and this is what our brand stands for. Yeah. And if you don't like that, that's okay. You're not our customer. Exactly. <laughs> that's crazy. Cause I mean, right now, I mean, the, the one big brand that comes to mind for something like that is, is Nike, it's obviously. Nike. Yeah. Um, and I just posted something about like humanizing the brand and make yeah. sure that if you think of Nike right now, most people are thinking someone kneeling. They're not yeah. thinking about a logo. They're thinking about that human that they were able to help humanize the brand uh, through that. And like someone like Patagonia is the same way yeah. where they're very, very, very open-minded or totally. open about, hey, there's something going on in this planet. It's called climate change and we need to do something about it, and everybody needs to enjoy the outdoors more. If you haven't read Let My People Surf, it's written by the founder of Patagonia, and it's about like culture, and it's about like how their company is like, surf is literally up. Really? We're starting, work, we're starting work late today. Everyone go surf. It's like, that's, that's like kind of where it comes from. It's like, oh, snow just dumped, it's a pow day, go hit the slopes, like we're not, we're not working today. And it's, it's about kind of letting that ethos run through your business. You said let my company serve. Let my people serve. Oh, people serve. Yeah. Awesome. Great read. I think um, what's really cool, I mean, about that is like at the end of the day, it goes back to the culture, what we started talking about, right? Yeah. And it goes back to showing people like, hey, if if you're not for this, maybe you're not the right fit yeah. or maybe this isn't the right culture for you, but know that this is the culture and yeah. this is... This is kind of the, we just set our core values for the company. These are our core values. And if you don't match, this is what you're being held accountable for. Yep. And if you don't match, you can kind of not take this job interview or anything like yep. that, but know that these, this, this is what, you're is coming what we into. Yeah, it's this transparent. Is, exactly. Yeah. Uh, this is what we live by at the end of the day. And it's something that is very big for startups and everything like that. Um, but you, Forrest, like what's, what's next for you personally, not just moral yeah. code, but what's next for you? So I'm, I'm really excited with what's happening with Moral Code. Um, I think there's, so we're opening a retail space, which is cool. So that's gonna be exciting. That's totally uncharted for me, which you know is scary, but also kind of the stuff I love of just figuring out something new. Mm -hmm. So that's going on. I know we've talked before, I'm super passionate about bringing diversity to venture capital. So I've got a big project that I'm working on there. Um, nice. Uncrowd.io 
Um, so we just brought in a CTO to start working on that, which is, and he's been phenomenal so far. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's really kind of where my passion lies is just bringing more diversity to VC. That's awesome. I think I'm actually speaking, uh, oh gosh, it's coming up October 3rd. Um, at American Families Dream Summit. Sure. I'm on the diversity and inclusion panel. Nice. Um, so that should be really cool. I think it's there's something to say to people that don't think that there is a problem at the end of the day. And I went maybe a month just posting just little stats here and there, and you caught me on one that didn't have the right stuff. <laughs> um, but like little, I after that, I checked everything. I, I double, triple checked everything. But I think... It's crazy because a lot of people, I I got a ton of hate for Did just, you? just posting a stat and there was nothing behind it. It I wasn't know. like this needs to be changed. I, all I did was post the, post the stat and yeah. I got a ton, a ton of hate. And to me, I mean, I was just letting people know this is a stat. It's a thing. And it's a this thing is, going it's on. A, yeah, exactly. And uh, the one I got the, it was interesting. The one I got the most hate for was um, a certain, cert, I think... If you are at least 60, 40 diverse, I think it's, uh, you have 2.1 times the revenue as your competitors or something like that. And um, it, I got a ton of hate, a ton of hate. And at the end of the day, I started talking to a whole bunch of people in the city and like 88.9 is one of them. Yeah, Um, Tariq. Yeah, Tariq. I was talking to people at Sherman Phoenix. I was even, I. As you know, I'm from Chicago, yeah. so I started talking to people down there, and they have a pretty diverse. I mean, we have some space in Merchandise Mart now down there, and I look at their VC groups, and it's a 180 from what I'm used to seeing here, um, Madison, anywhere. Yeah. And it's just very interesting to me that that hasn't spread this way yet. And I talk to them all the time, I'm like, so how do how do we kind of change this? How do we kind of I know it's out there that this can impact in the right way, but how do we now get people to start investing? And the one thing that they say is the people of color in the city need to have money yeah. in order to do this. Um, and was very interesting. I mean, it's 100% true, um, but I thought about like my train ride after I talked to the person in Chicago, my train ride up, I was trying to think of, okay, People of color in the city that can do this, that let's say, let's take out all the, all the athletes sure. who can justifiably do this that are out there. I'm sure there's people that aren't out there that yep. can, um, but it was nuts. I couldn't, 10 fingers on my hand, I couldn't name 10 personalities in the city. And that's something that we just need to empower more people, not only to get out there and grind or whatever and invest in these companies, but at the end of the day, if we're not hiring people of color, if we're not having these diverse teams, there's no way that they can grow. I mean, I, unfortunately, your experience here in Milwaukee is not unique. Yeah. Like That's representative of most cities in the country yep. uh, as far as venture capital is concerned. There are really four, four places that drive venture capital. It's San Francisco and Silicon Valley, it's New York, Boston, and LA. Yep. And that's... I think last time I looked at the data, it's like 77% of all VC dollars exist there. And then as you start going into the demographic stuff, it's the same thing. Like yep. I, nobody likes it when I say this, and it's it's openly crass. I'm I'm understanding that, but venture capital in 2019 is mostly white dudes on the coast giving money to other white dudes on the coast. Yep, 100%. I think there's one guy changing it, and I, 
hopefully um, by the time that we actually, um, this goes live, I have, we've been going back and forth with John Henry and Harlem Capital awesome out of dude. New York. Totally and awesome dude, I love what those guys are I doing. think it's very important to have him, I mean, obviously I'm not gonna charge him, just like I didn't charge yeah. you to jump on the podcast. Yeah. And I just want, if there's somebody in Milwaukee or in the Midwest that, or people that aren't on the coast, that don't believe that there is somebody of color that is representing at least a small number of us. I want them to know like, hey, the, this the Harlem Capital is here. And it's not gonna be the only one. It's just it, at this, at the point, like at this point, it's gonna take some time. Like John, um, just reading into a story and everything like that, he's heavy into real estate, but he had to take huge bets on himself in order to have the capital to start investing in all these other companies. Well, one of the things that I love about him actually in his story, I've never met him, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm interested, you're connected with him, but I, I follow those guys yeah. because one of their message is kind of aligned with our Uncrowd message in that a lot of the, a lot of the help for this is very like positive focused. It, it's very on like um, communal and community yep. good. Like we need more equality. We need more people of color. We need more women involved. And all of that is a hundred percent true. Yeah. But I haven't seen that as a path to actually creating meaningful change because that story doesn't resonate with the people that have the capital right yep. now. And so what Harlem Capital's doing, and I guess I don't want to put words in their mouth, but what I think they're doing, and certainly what we're doing yeah. is also talking about like the the financial benefit of being an alpha mover. Yeah. Like if you're telling me that, I, you're not telling me, I'm telling you that yeah. collectively black and Latinx founders only got less than 4% of venture capital dollars last year, mm -hmm. that women got less than 4% of venture capital dollars last year. Like I know, I know the demographics, I know what the reality is. There's a bunch, that means there's a bunch of founders that are not getting money that should. Yep. And so if you're an investor, you have a huge opportunity there, economic opportunity there, where you can go in and you can say, my dollars are gonna go further. Yeah. Where if I go to the normal route and I give a million dollars and I get 10%, I can give, 500,000 and get 10% of this company that probably has an equal opportunity to exceed, or I can still give that 10 per, that million and get 20% of that company. Yep. So there's, it's actual like economic advantage to do this and to pay attention to this. And it will be for a while until someone starts doing it and showing how rich you can get doing it. That's the wave that's gonna happen for like the, the next round of like old white guys that have all the money. They're gonna go, oh shit. This is how people are making money right now. Yep. I got to start looking in Montana for my next founder. I need to find a black woman in Montana who is launching a business that I never would have talked to otherwise. Yep. That's what I get excited about. That's amazing. And I, I literally I cannot wait as anybody that's listening knows that I'm, I'm very passionate about just letting the unrepresented demographic actually be represented. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I, I, whether it's, through more code or whether it's through Uncrowd or whether it's Harlem Capital, somebody can do it um, at a small basis right now and encourage others to start doing it. That's the main thing. And I think that's what's gonna push not only uh, this industry forward, I think it's gonna, it's gonna push this country forward once we get past everything that's going on right now. Well, I think I, there need to be some successes, yep. and, but I don't think it needs to be that many, but there needs to be some successes. And I can tell you this from my own experience fundraising and that you get people, it's just scary. It's scary to invest. It is scary to invest even in a system that looks like it's very functional. Yep. And it's a lot of money we're talking about. And so I, we would have conversations, I would have conversations that would say, hey, 
I'm happy to follow on, but I don't want to lead the round. I don't want to be the biggest investor. Yeah. I don't even want to set the terms, I, but I'm happy to kind of throw some money once that part's figured out. I would usually have, we'd have f tons of follow on follow right, investors ready to go. And so I, a lot of that just comes down to like your own risk tolerance for your own money. And that's, it, it is scary. Very and so changing that takes, it's hard to trailblaze something that can cost you literally millions of dollars. Oh yeah. And so, but it will happen. Yeah. Like somebody is really going to take the forefront on this as an investor and say, I am making so much more money by focusing on these underrepresented groups. And then that story gets out there. And then all of those kind of secondary movers that go like, okay, cool. I'm fine to do that now. I didn't want to, I didn't want to figure it out before but he's figured it out. Yeah. Like I, now I have something. Now I have something I can sell to my LPs. I can say, Hey, this is, this is what's working for these other firms. We should do this with our dollars too. It gives them a case to stand on. Oh yeah. And, and so it, it, it will happen because it has to. Like the yeah. money part just makes too much sense. And then at that point, and, and I should say too, I've talked to I talked to a lot of investors. None of them are like racist assholes. They're no. all really smart people. Like I, I don't think I, I like to give everyone the benefit of the doubt in this space. I don't see anyone at an individual level being like, I'm intentionally not doing this. Yeah. It's just their existing deal flow for whatever reason is not connected in the right way with these founders. Yep. And so the, there needs to just be more visibility. We need to create opportunities to connect these two groups. And then once that happens, they're they're gonna make smart investments and they're gonna make money and then Everyone's deal flow has to slowly change to be like, hey, we got to look at more women. Women, women return more money than men. Female yep. founders make more, are more likely to give you a return than a male founder. But sure, let's only give them four percent. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Dude, you've you've dropped a ton of knowledge um, on this podcast itself, and I think honestly, the diversity. Um, topic diversity and inclusion topic could be another podcast yes and sorry oh no no i completely down for that um but i think i want to make sure that we hit on meredith's meredith's plans and everything like yeah. that so um first of all i wanted to thank you for jumping on like today was amazing i enjoy this conversation and i think we should have you on in regards to i think there might be a diversity and inclusion segment of strange on purpose coming very very soon cool. um so that should be coming up and i would love to have you as uh, on as a guest as well be my pleasure and then um but yeah i first of all i gotta ask you where can people find you and Got then um where can people find you whether it's linkedin anything like that yeah. and then um yeah. <laughs> so LinkedIn, Forrest, F-O-R-E-S-T, Richter, R-I-C-H-T-E-R. Find me there. I'm happy to connect with you. I love talking to founders in particular about whatever, wherever you are in your process, whether you're just at ideation all the way through fundraising, happy to give advice there anytime I can. Um, moralcode.com, go there to buy your shoes, go there to buy your bags. If you care about diversity and venture capital, go check out uncrowd.io. We got some stuff happening. Hopefully have an MVP sometime in Q4. Awesome, awesome. That's that's amazing. And if you go to moralcode.com, type in promo code STRANGE20, you get 20% off any product on the site. So yeah, any listeners that want to dress like Izzy dresses and want to wear <laughs> shoes like that, go to promo code STRANGE20, put it in there. Um, we'll give you 20% off. We're, all of our new fall stuff is out right now. Dope. So it's a great time. We got some cool boots for the winter, cool shoes. We got it. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Forrest. Thanks, Izzy. It's a pleasure.